everyone to fly over footy. You might be listening to us on the big 550 KTRS. And if so, you're listening to us an hour and a half before kickoff against the Seattle Sounders in Seattle. So welcome to the show. We're a St. Louis soccer podcast, and we try to dig deep on St. Louis City SC. And so we're going to do that today. I've got my friends here, Matt Baker. How's it going, man? Going great. Doing well. Enjoying life. Enjoying the uh, the recapping of Minnesota. Looking forward. Been looking forward all week to Seattle. It's just a, it's still a good time. We're still in first place. Life's good, man. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Santiago, you watched City 2 in training today and you got a one-on-one interview with the coach. How was that? Oh, that, that was fun. That was fun. He's a, he's a great guy and uh, he's a talker. So I really, I really enjoyed it. Lovely. Yeah. It's really, really fun to be able to, and we're so lucky to be able to sit down with coaches and just talk to them like that. Any soccer person, um, is, it's a lot of fun. That's kind of why we're all here to talk about uh, things like this on our podcast and the radio show. So if you're listening, thank you so much for uh, making that possible. Um, Matt, why don't we start as usual? Um, actually this might be our last week doing it this way. Uh, we may stop doing the recaps for the radio show, at least in so much depth, but we are going to recap the Minnesota United show and, as usual, we start off with the starting 11. Yeah, we've got some fun things in store. So hopefully uh, hopefully this might sound a little different next week. But for now, um, going into Minnesota, we had, we'd run out of 4-4-2 a few games in a row. Uh, Nico Joachini riding the hot hand. And we rolled it out again against Minnesota United. 4-4-2 with Berkey in the net. Nelson, Hebert, Parker, Nerwinski on the back line. Hebert, of course, returning from international duty and slotted right back into that starting lineup. We had our midfield of Edward Leuven and Indiana Vasilev. Tomas Ostrock and Jared Stroud, our wingers, and Klaus and Joachini were up top. So still sticking with those hot hands and trying to play our game. And so when we rolled out this lineup, first thing I thought is, okay, they're, they're truly sticking to their guns on what they do well. They're not trying to play to any kind of um, weakness that they're trying to ex- exploit in that low block of Minnesota. So a lot of promise from this lineup. Yeah. And I think the other standout other than Hebert in this lineup is that Rasmus Alm was, Alm was still out. Uh, Santiago, I know you tweeted today that uh, he was in training and, and we found out some things in the presser about him as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. He was in training and obviously one more training session tomorrow and they will make a decision after that. But um it's good to see him out there because he, he missed a couple of days. Yeah, it's hard to not wonder would things have looked different in Minnesota United uh, if um, against Minnesota if Alm um, had been there. Who knows? We'll never know. Uh, but when we get him back, I, I know we all look forward to that. The deeper our roster, the better. Um, let's talk about some highlights. Fragapane is probably one of the key players in our minds and our memories and unfortunately in the game itself. Um, and that that's how we start our highlights off, Matt. So you want to lead us in with the with some updates on Fragapane in that, yep. in that game? Fragapane was an interesting character in this match. I'm not saying that he, he changed the course of things, but he definitely impacted uh, a lot of plays. He had one official yellow card and you could make an argument that he deserved possibly three yellow cards. Mm. He had a yellow card called against Indiana Vasilev in 19 minutes, which led into one of Indy's free kicks that was really close to a goal opportunity. Uh, he had another possible yellow that could have been called against Nico Joachini in 25. That was hit or miss. And honestly, as a second yellow, that would have been pretty weak. But then came 28 minutes and uh, a play on uh, our right side where he kind of... I mean, at the end of the day, there's no other way to put it than simulated and embellished against Jared Stroud. 
where Jared Stroud was called for a yellow card that was eventually rescinded during the week. And Fragapane obviously jumped up in the air, rolled around. On replays, it's pretty clear he didn't get touched. And that led to probably a change in the way Jared Stroud played the match. Obviously, riding a yellow that early, he's going to be a little less of a factor, a little more timid, a little, you know. Jared especially. <laughs> right. The, uh, Jared Stroud, of all people, one of the most physical, one of the most Im- imposing people on our team so far this year. A guy who's really stood out with his physicality and his uh, just way he attacks the ball, really buying into our system. And you have to believe that having a yellow card that early changed things for him. I agree. What do you think, Santiago? I see you shaking your head as well. Yeah, for sure. That early yellow card can change the way a player um, approaches the the match. Uh, Going back to that um, play between Fragapane and Nico Joachini in the 25th minute, I remember um, after that happened, I I think the the ref like thought about it for a minute. Like uh, Mm -hmm. you could see, like he. He was trying to pull the yellow card, and then he remembered, oh, he already has a yellow. And mm-hmm. then he just went and talked to him. But, yeah, those are things that can change the game. But at the end of the day, like, every match are going to have some things like that that can change the course of the match. And um, Riley Carnell alluded to that um, in one of his uh, press conference or uh, or some media availability he had with someone else. Uh, basically, he said, if you put yourself in that position which you are depending on a referee's decision um it just means that you are not doing enough to um to win the game to score goals and and basically take care of destiny yourself so um i like i actually like that and truthfully you can't argue with that because this is the first game all year where we're getting into the weeds of complaining about cards looking at fouls changing Mm -hmm. a game and obviously it's because we lost but it's also because we didn't really have much of an offense to talk about. We had, we only had uh, three shots on goal the entire game. So when when that happens, when your um, effectiveness and your clinical finishing ability is so diminished in that way, this is what we have to look to of what could have changed the flow and and how how did the the pace of play be altered by those kinds of things. And and the interesting thing to me is we're talking about you know nineteen twenty five twenty eight minutes. In and around that, if you look at the first half, the way the f- game flowed, we had possession pretty pretty high, especially compared to our previous matches. We were in the 55-60% range of possession for that entire first half. But we did have a few good opportunities. And made note of Edward Leuven had multiple opportunities in, in and around the box, a header at 10 minutes, a curling shot from outside the box at 38 minutes. Indiana Vasilev had that free kick miss off the foul. Tomas Ostrak, who is playing a right mid position, actually came from the left side here around the 22-minute mark here around those yellow cards and tried to curl a ball in with his right foot. So all of these things are still happening in the first half while while nothing is really finding net in, in any kind of meaningful manner, but we're creating chances. Chances were created by St. Louis. So when we look back on it, a lot of the narrative this week has been just St. Louis was quiet. St. Louis was shut down. The low block was completely effective in neutralizing him. That's not necessarily the case, especially in the first half. We didn't start off uh, peppering the keeper because we only had three shots on goal the entire match. And I think two of them came in the second half. But 
we did have chances. We were controlling the ball in the attacking third. That low block was just effective in preventing us from having good, high-quality, high-percentage chances. Yeah, and what you said there, Matt, you know, the thing that I noticed immediately even watching the game live, which is a lot harder for me to see these things live, but the rewatch showed it as well. Like you said, how much possession we ended up having, and that was by choice from Minnesota, for sure. They, not just against us, against every team so far, They've been doubling down on their defense and being able to outplay them on the defensive side and then pick their moments very conservatively to to go forward. And um, that's what this game looked like. You know, the stats show it. You know, there wasn't much going on this entire game. And but, you know, they put their cards down. They said to St. Louis, we're going to clog up the back. We dare you to, to possess the ball against us and beat us at, at our game. You know, that was their choice. And and. You know, the first half went the way they wanted in the end. But I do agree with you, Matt. That's not all doom and gloom. I think a lot of people left this game feeling like we lost, that it was the worst game of the season. Maybe it has been luck. And I think multiple times today we're going to say, no, we looked very good in that first half, especially. And, yeah, the second half was harder. There were some adjustments, too. But, you know, the game plan in this one went Minnesota United's way. And I don't think St. Louis is going to forget it. I'm very much looking forward to a rematch on this because as we go on, we're going to talk more about it. But for the record, I do feel like this one could have gone either way. You know, if this game was played five, 10 times, I don't know. I don't know how many Minnesota would have won. Well, and, and you go to the the chances we had in the first half versus how many they had. You know, in, in the narrative, too, where we had three shots on goal the entire match, they had zero shots on goal <laughs> in the run of play for the entire match. They won with a PK that scored, and that was their only shot on goal. So while we're talking about the chances St. Louis had and didn't convert on or didn't have uh, good clinical finishing, Minnesota really had absolutely nothing. They only had legitimately one dangerous moment, and it was in, I believe, the 57th minute. That was a shot off the post by Mender Garcia, mm-hmm. and it, it was it was created by uh, the the same type of defense that Minnesota had been playing the entire time, where they would sit back and we we talked about the low block, but essentially what they would do is cut off our long passes on the ground and in the air. So they wouldn't they if you think about what St. Louis does, where St. Louis tries to gag and press, they try to uh, counterattack, they try to counterpress, get the ball back as soon as it's lost. Wherever the ball handler is, they swarm, they attack. Well, Minnesota did quite the opposite. So they would let the ball handler take the ball, and when they would try to create something, whether it's a run to the outside, a cross over the middle up top, they would almost see who's going to receive the ball, double or triple team them, or try to cut the ball off at the point of reception. Not not try to cut the ball off in the middle or where the ball was being passed from, but they would block, drop all the way back, take the ball where it's being received, and then form their own counter off of that. And that's kind of how this real big chance in 57 came across. And they, they moved the ball so quickly and across the box that it put Berkey in a position where he was, he was no factor in the, the attempted save. It was Jake Nerwinski who was in the goalkeeper position. And luckily or thankfully, the ball went off the post. But that was really the only big run of play opportunity. And a, run, a, post, a shot off the post doesn't count as a shot on goal. So that's where you get that. Which drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah. 
I agree. And, and, you know, as much as we did feel good about a lot of things and, you know, saying how bad Minnesota was, I do, you know, it's something to remember that it doesn't show up in XG and that can be like, okay, that was their only chance. It was off the goal. So they deserve no XG. I don't know. Um, It's close to XG. uh, Well, you know, to me, it's like, okay, that was missed. We got to remember all those close calls, mm -hmm. even though that doesn't show up on the stat sheet. The crazy thing about that is if you're looking at XG, expected goals, which as a reminder to folks who might be listening on the radio, especially XG looks at how your expected goals based on the quality of your chance, the spot you are on the field, how likely is it that your shot is going to go in? And it does take factors into to account, such as the player themselves, how good they are, what their history is. So there's a lot that goes into this stat. It's kind of like um, it's kind of yeah, like I was going to say that. Yeah. It's one of the it's one of those it's difficult to really look at the nuts and bolts of it, but you get the gist, right? So if you have like a one expected goal, then based on your total shots or or however one game or multiple games, a one XG is you should have in whatever you were doing scored one goal. And the interesting thing is the XG for this game is that Minnesota finished with a one point eight XG overall. St. Louis finished with a point nine. That's taking into account the mm-hmm. PK. So if you look at the chart, it's hilarious because you have that moment at 57 minutes where there's a massive jump in XG because of that shot that went off the post. And and when you have the PK, it's almost an equivalent. So it, it really says that that shot that they had against the post likely should have gone in just as much as that PK. <laughs> so it's one of those interesting analysis things where you're looking at their opportunities and it's clear from looking at the stats that those were the only opportunities. Yeah, had. watching the game and watching the stats. We got it. One is uh, meaningless without the other. So um, good job there, Matt, kind of laying all out, laying out all the options. Excuse me. Uh, but we should probably rush through the rest of the highlights for this match. I just have one question at the end, if, if you guys are willing to allow it. But Matt, do you want to kind of finish out the game on, on what happened? Yeah, that, that, that was it. I mean, right? Yeah, like, the so PK, the yeah. PK... The PK is the last thing, and that's the thing that to talk about. So the PK essentially was a foul called on Kyle Hebert around 76 minutes inside the box, and it was a running Luis Amaria where Jake Nerwinski had seemed to cut him off from the outside, and Kyle Hebert came diving in with two feet from the inside. And what ended up happening, if you look on the replay, is it really looks like Hebert misses Amaria or maybe clips him, but it's the slightest margin. And in fact, he he hits Jake Nerwinski pretty square on the right foot. So much so that today we found out in the press conference on Thursday while we're recording this that Jake Nerwinski has uh, black and blue <laughs> bruises on his foot still from that. And, it, and if you're thinking and looking at that, knowing that Jake Nerwinski took the brunt of that blow, it's hard not to say that that was a soft call despite how it looked visually in real time and afterwards. I mean, it's one of those... Kyle Hebert put himself in the situation and he he hasn't before. So it's one of those things that you want to forgive him because it's it's a mistake. He's going to own up to it. He's going to learn from it. He's going to move on his his first one of those of the year and a player of Kyle Hebert's growth so far that we've talked ad nauseum about. You want to you want to look past it. He's a guy who's looking for redemption from that. And it, and ultimately, I'm not going to say it shouldn't have been called because it looked rough, regardless of if he made contact or not. And it's just you sh- you can't put yourself in that kind of a situation. So and ultimately, that was the game changer with the the PK being converted at seventy. Leaving Santi. <laughs> yeah, uh, obviously, Kyle Hever up to that play was having a great game, and I agree. Is it's part of the game. It's part of uh, his development. He will learn from it. And yeah, to me, it was a PK, um, regardless of how soft the touch was, it was. And Amarilla, 
didn't have a chance to get the ball anyway. But when you touch somebody yeah. in the box, um, that's a PK. But uh, one thing that caught my attention uh, when I was rewatching the game is how this play originated because it was a, a ball that Minnesota recovered uh, from a pass from uh, Nerwinski to uh, Stroud that um, went short and Minnesota counterattacked. So you could say that Minnesota kind of beat us at our own game because they were... Well, that was the pass to the middle of the yeah, field, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and that that's a, a pinpoint of what they'd been doing the entire mm -hmm. match where the pass was intercepted where Stroud yeah. was. The the attacker, uh, Amaria, Amaria the, yeah. that intercepted yeah. it, took the ball right out from under Stroud. It wasn't it wasn't anywhere near Nerwinski or the middle of the field. So it was that same kind of thing that finally caught yeah, up to us. Nico had several in the final third. That's not going to hurt you as badly, but uh, that's all of this yeah. is just life. And as, as a center back, as a soccer player, these things happen and it's just how we respond to them. I think... We've had several, even, you know, Parker could have been called for some things in the box and in, in former games and in, in games, previous games. And so, you know, it's just Hebert was was due and he got one in his first season here with, with St. Louis. Uh, I just want to say one thing about that. And that is um, a more negative thing. I'm sorry, guys. But um, Nerwinski, the unfortunate thing about it is that Jake had already cut off the ball from the attacker, from Emeria. Yeah. And so that was hard to see, too, where like Hubert absolutely didn't have to slide. It was probably in slow motion. It looked worse than in, in real time. But, yeah, but, that was hard but, but for that's me. It. That's the thing. When you watch it on TV, you can make all those assumptions. Oh, yes. yeah, Heber should have not done that. But in right. real time, it's just a fraction of a second. Yes. And uh, Heber probably thought that Nerwinski wasn't going to get there. But if you look at the at the whole play, like right. Nerwinski made a great run to yeah. recover and, and, and catch up uh, Amarilla. But yeah, it's just a fraction of a second. And, and yeah, I'm sure it's, it's a learning opportunity. But I, I'm... I like overall what the team did. Yeah, um, didn't have a lot of chances to score, but it, it shows that it can be competitive against teams uh, like Minnesota that play a different style. And not everybody's going to play this type of game, but I'm sure, look, as you said, looking forward to a rematch or uh, any time another team, because teams are going to take notes and they're going to say, oh, so this is yeah. uh, City's uh, weakness or this is what we can do. But I'm sure Bradley will, Bradley and his staff will also look at this and they will have some things prepared when somebody uh, has uh, this kind of tactic. Well, and Bradley likes to talk about uh, controlling what you can control and playing your own style. And yes, you have to understand the strengths and weaknesses of your opponent. But if you if you play your best and you you put forward the system that you've been training in and that you know is successful, then that's how you can win your matches. And, and this match in particular went so differently for St. Louis than any other match so far. And to me, there's a lot of stats you can look at. You can look at possession where St. Louis is 55 to Minnesota is 45. You can look at shots where we were we didn't have very many shots on goal. But I think the thing to me that's the takeaway is the passing in this match. And that really speaks to the fact that we did have possession and what we did with that and how la the lack of verticality behind our offense against Minnesota. If you look at every match prior to Minnesota, Austin, Charlotte, Portland, San Jose, RSL, you're looking at the total number of passes in each match, 347, 312, 374, 359, 324. And then Minnesota was 474. We passed the ball 100 times more in this game than the most in one game prior. If that doesn't tell you the difference in the type of offense that we had yeah. to run out against Minnesota, 
it, I don't know what does. And so this is an opportunity to know what we have to do to beat that kind of a defense and to whether it's changing up how we move the ball and where we move the ball, maybe shorter passes. It's just it's a vastly different outcome, uh, not just on the scoreboard that this team can use to learn from going yeah. forward. And, and I do. I do think they're going to learn from it. And I'm really excited about it. Like I was actually excited for our first loss in one way only in that I was excited to learn more about our team and how we play and how we respond to these kind of things and how we uh, attack a team and defend a team that kind of figures some things out about us or tries some things that work against us. So I'm excited to see how they respond to this because I do think in some ways Seattle's going to hit us in similar ways. We're going to get to that shortly. Um, if you'd like to hear more about that game, we are going to have a wind down session after this on Thursday nights. When we record, we talk about what we couldn't fit into the radio show. So, um, yes, if you are joining us on the radio, we are flyover footy. You're listening to us on the big 550 KTRS. And we do thank you for that. We're going to go over some some stats and some news stories now before we preview the game for you for Seattle. Matt, do you want to start us on some of the stats? I see possession shots. What do you think? Yeah, the the good news is here. Uh, we didn't have a whole lot of news this week. There was there wasn't very many things to to cover as far as uh, players and, and impacts. But when we get to the stats, I want to I want to do a little bit of a different thing this week because St. Louis and Seattle are one and two in the West. So when we look at the stats, I want to look at it in conjunction to each other as opposed to just how St. Louis is doing or how Seattle is doing because it's very different when you can compare yourself as the best of the best than just looking at another team in the table. So real quick, let's take a look at the the news of the week. So Jabulu Blom, we found out today, is progressing well. He had obviously COVID not too long ago and has been recovering from that. It's what caused him to miss his call-up in South Africa, and he hasn't started since. So Bradley Cornell confirmed today that he is 100% a candidate to start. So he's back in that consideration. He's back in that conversation of... Is it going to be Blome? Is it going to be Vasilev? Is it going to be Blome and Vasilev with Leuven as the 10? Those are the kinds of conversations we can have now. Rasmus Alm, as Santi kind of referred to, is back in practice. He returned from practice from a knee contusion that he suffered against RSL, causing him to miss the game against Minnesota. He practiced Wednesday and Thursday, and according to Bradley Carnell, they're going to see if he's good to go tomorrow, Friday, before he's able to be cleared for action on Saturday. So, Tomorrow's practice or Friday's practice, if you're listening to this on Saturday night, determined if his if he's eligible to be in that game day roster. Outside of that, health-wise, we're pretty good. The one thing we do know is that Azeel Jackson is unlikely to play for City this weekend. Owen O'Malley also unlikely to play for City this weekend because both of them were, as Santi saw at the City 2 practice, with that team. They play, or played, depending on when you're listening to this, on Friday night in their match. So this was a little bit out of the ordinary. The The players had to be identified for the city roster a little earlier in the week, and they were able to shift over. So Azeel Jackson and Ono O'Malley should see time with City 2, uh, meaning that they will likely not be available for City. One more news item that um, I just now threw in there. Sorry, Matt. Um, but it's really cool. The the it's slew alum, one. Simon Betcher, who's playing for Vancouver White Whitecaps, he's gotten five goals in somewhere around 87 minutes. Five goals in 87 minutes. He's the fastest one to do that in MLS history. And like I said, he's a slew alum. Um, was drafted by them last year before last season, and he got his first goal with them at the end of the season. And um, I just wanted to say that I talked to Manuel Vaith about that. He's a Vancouver native, and um, that's out already if you're listening to this, actually. So we'll have some videos and um, a full 
episode after this podcast comes out. So look forward to that. But watch Simon Betcher with Vancouver. He's on a run and he is getting a start. He's getting a full 90 in the next game from what we hear. So that'll be a fun one to watch. Player of the match week. He is he's, he's getting some national attention, which is really, really cool to and see. If you've watched him at SLU, it's not that surprising. The way he's playing is not different no. at all. It, he's looking good and doing well. Um, did did you hit some did you want to hit some stats before we move on? Yeah, let's 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 pivot straight into okay, Seattle, I think. Great. So look looking at at who we're playing on Saturday, Seattle is a consensus top four team in the league, no matter how you cut it. So whether you're looking at power rankings, standings, the worst I've seen Seattle in any single one of these metrics is fourth. And that, I believe, is it was in um, the ESPN power rankings, I think. So Seattle sits second in the West. They were third in the MLS power rankings. They are 4-1-1 one, and one on the year, 2-0-1 oh, at home, and have zero goals conceded at home. Big, big stat. St. Louis, along with that, we know we're sitting in first place. We know we're right ahead of the Sounders in the standings. We are 3-0-0 oh, oh, on the road. Something is going to have to give in this match purely from that perspective. So when you're talking about form, when you're talking about the home crowd, the the home field advantage, playing on the turf, all of these things, uh, one of these teams is going to walk away with a one in their loss column or potentially an extra one in their draw. To add one stat, how long has it been since St. Louis has given up a goal through the run of play? 425 minutes dating back to the Charlotte Matt FC. Baker, everybody. Thanks wow. for remembering That's that. Amazing. So, you know, the only thing I wanted to say about this and then I'm out, I'm out of your guys' way is, you know, two of what I think are the best teams in the league, at least in the Western Conference, played each other two weeks ago, L.A., versus Seattle and it was a zero zero draw and that's why they're both below mm-hmm. us in the standings is one of the main reasons yep. and so interesting a lot of defense there right guys what do you oh, think yeah. Santi yeah Seattle uh, obviously no goals conceded at home and only three goals in six games they are very solid on defense and um, actually uh, Riley Carnell talked a little bit about that this morning and um, basically he he praised uh, their two center backs, um, Jamar Gomez and uh, Jackson Regan. And even Regan, he's young, and uh, he took uh, the starting center back position yeah. from Xavier uh, Arriaga, who uh, plays for Ecuador's national team. So he he said that they have a really good back line. Uh, but at the same time, he said, yeah, even they have that, but they are also really good in transition. And, and that's how how they, they hurt our teams in the, in the transition. So, um, but I'm looking forward to seeing that duel between uh, Klaus and Jamar Gomez. Mm. Uh, two uh, big guys. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to see, and I think that's going to be one of the keys of the game, who of the two prevails in that matchup. And it's going to be interesting to me because the style of play for these two teams are so vastly different. And when you look at kind of uh, the, the, the metrics in, in as far as the directness and the number of passes per sequence, it's striking because there's a, there's a quadrant view that I like to look at that says certain teams are very direct with their passing, very vertical with them, and they have very few number of passes per sequence. St. Louis is top four in the league in those categories when you put those together. On the opposite end, Seattle is the slowest and most mm-hmm. intricate in their buildup. They have the highest number of passes per sequence and the third slowest direct speed movement with the ball, meaning they take the time to build up. They have a lot of these 
short kind of passing to draw off defenders, move the ball up very quickly in getting their runs back. And you can look at multiple highlights because they they're one of the highest goal scorers in the league. And that the way that they can, the way that they can control the ball, I think is the most impressive thing to me because you're looking at, you're looking at their ability to beat a press simply by moving the ball around very clinically. Their, their touches are so crisp. They're able to, almost look like they're running circles around everybody else without not running at all. And that's the thing that worries me the most when you're looking at St. Louis's defense is Bradley Carnell has, uh, has said a couple times in a question unrelated talking about, um, how he's going to handle the summer heat. And he, he referenced, um, having to control push points and, and being very, very careful and very specific about who, how, and when you're putting that press into play. So maybe maybe it plays into some of these things we've seen recently where we're not constantly mm-hmm. pressing. We're picking our targets. It, it is a lot, yes. And when we do it, we go all out. You can see that it's a swarming person and it's, it's constant in the sequences that we do it. But I think that's how we're really going to have to beat this Seattle offense is picking and choosing our battles, finding where on the field the right place is at the right time to, to put this press into play. And, and make sure that we're not leaving ourselves vulnerable in the midfield and on the wings because they've, they've done some damage on the wings. Moving that ball up at times quickly, but also at times they just run around you with those slow passes. Getting it to uh, Nico Ladero, out to, out to Jordan Morris, Leo Chu. Like we're, we'll talk about all these guys in just a second, but the way that their multiple talented players are able to build the ball up so clinically is, is very impressive. And that's the thing that... that makes me want a guy like Jabulo Blome to be in the match so incredible. I completely bad. agree with that. I, you know, I was watching, uh, rewatching the game. The first goal that Seattle had, you know, Galaxy was controlling the game decently well against such a good team. But we saw in the midfield, some person made a, just a magic play, got around a player and sent the ball forward. And it was off from there. It was pass, pass, pass goal. Um, and, you know, to Morris, who's just lighting up the league at uh, center forward rather than his, his normal left left wing role. Um, you know, it's, it was quick and, you know, like you kind of iterated there, there, Matt, like I could see one guy missing. And then if they get one more guy to miss in St. Louis, that's where you start clinching up because you know, everyone's on that side of the field and you should like, there's a lot of openings that can be had. So yeah, that's something that someone like Jabula Blome could plug that kind of a hole. Um, but it also matches up well against us in some of those ways. Yeah. And, and on that point of, of they'll, they'll cause a player to miss, they'll cause a second player to miss. And then they, they strike, um, Seattle is among the league leaders in duels and second chances. And so what, what that really means is they're able to win the ball, win the battles for the ball, and they're able to create all these second chances, whether they are misses and they recover the ball or whether they're lost passes and then they immediately recover the ball from that. And so I asked Bradley Carnell, how are you going to approach that? And so he said, when you, when you're facing a team like that, you have to be compact. You have to be connected. You have to make sure that the orientation for the team is always the ball. So you're not worried about anything else that's going on in the field except for where the ball is and where the ball is going, being able to predict how some of those passes are going to be strung together. So that's that's where St. Louis is going to have to almost have that 360 vision, 
right? Knowing where the players are, who, if you're marking a player, if you're playing in the vicinity, needing to know who's available for the pass and where it's like. I love go. hearing coaches use the language with us that you can tell they use in training. And it's so cool to hear them say that they follow the ball, not the people. And I, I love that because you see that play out in real time. So thanks for sharing that, Matt. Yep. Uh, the, the only other thing I want to say is that Seattle, um, on the other hand, they could beat us in those ways we just talked about. But if they're deliberate and somewhat slow, in the buildup that also plays to our advantage and so i could yes we're away but we're going to go after them they're not going to have time on the ball like some other teams give them and so i really am excited to see this matchup it's you know the two top teams in the western conference and their two styles kind of going head to head there and one of the one of the notes too is i don't want to give a false impression that seattle just meanders with the ball and and when we talk about their lack of uh, direct movement lack of forward progress of the ball it doesn't mean that they're 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 changing up the side of the field they're on so often and they're just kind of waiting back and waiting for you to strike them what they do is they use these horizontal passes so efficiently and they're doing it so quickly and so when you put those two numbers together of number of passes per sequence a sequence being the the line that you have a ball for it until you turn it over or until you score a goal so you're you're having those high number of passes per sequence but you're not moving the ball forward in the manner St. Louis does. So you're moving it quickly back and forth, and then you're moving it up as you need to. So you could have a series of 15 passes strung together in one sequence that lead to the ball just past midfield, sending it out to a wing who then crosses it over to the center. Like that's exactly how uh, one of the goals, I think it was Leo Chu to Jordan yeah. Morris was scored. And, and that, that can be, that can beat us as well. And that was a scary goal to me seeing, knowing how our defense has been exposed at times with that, that quick counterattack. So it's not like Seattle's just going to work us over. They might work us over in the midfield, but then they can immediately unload in that attacking third in ways that we've seen our defense be vulnerable before. Yeah. And that's uh, something, that's something to keep an eye on those long passes because yeah, they, they do well with, with the ball uh, going from side to side, but I think they're going to pick their moments too and go with the long ball at times to break the press. So uh, that's something to keep an eye on. And a little bit different too. So Santi, I think you and I had different sources for this information, but it sounds like, uh, Jordan Morris, who has been, uh, I think how Bradley Carnell referred to it, it was, um, improvisation of having Jordan Morris up top. So where Seattle has been kind of improvising, putting Morris up top because Raul Rui Diaz, their other, their designated player and their main number nine has been hurt. He, He was hurt at the beginning of the season. He was out on international duty. Hasn't really found his groove with the team. So Morris has been up top. Jordan Morris is a winger. And it sounds like Jordan Morris is about to return to his winger position while Rui Diaz slots in at that number nine. So their attack, while it was dangerous before with Morris up front, if you put a, a informed Jordan Morris alongside a healthy Raul Rui Diaz, that's the Seattle Sounders that you're afraid of. And that yeah, still and works they, on a cross. Yeah. And they also have... Uh... So they will have uh, Leo Chu as an option, and they also have Ever, mm. who has been injured, but he's back to full form too. Yep. So uh, they have a lot of talent, a lot of depth. The the quote from the power rankings that MLSsoccer.com put out is that Seattle's biggest issue right now is that their players are too good. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> it's true to have to have Rui Diaz on the bench is just you know embarrassment of riches. 
It's yeah. a cheat code. <laughs> um, you are listening to Flyover Footy, and you're listening to us on the big 550 KTRS. Thank you so much for joining us, Matt. We just mentioned several players. Do you want to kind of give us a little more information about each one, some players that um, viewers can watch for in this game? Yeah, I put down a handful. Um, so I'll go name, number, position, just so everybody can keep an eye on it when you're watching it tonight, especially if you're not familiar with Seattle. Uh, Jordan Morris, number 13, is their forward. Uh, like we just talked about, had been playing the number nine, the main striker position, but we expect him to go back to his probably left wing, I think, Definitely, right? Yeah. Is that what we're thinking? Yeah. yeah. And he leads the team and the league right now with eight goals, and that includes a four-goal outburst against Sporting Kansas City three weeks ago. He is tied for the team lead in key passes with 23, along with Nico Ladero, who I'll mention in a second. And he leads the league in expected goals per 90 minutes at 0.71. Overall, he has a 4.35 expected goals. So you can see he's outperforming his expectation by a, a pretty hefty margin. Um, tends to People tend to regress to the mean on that, so that's maybe a good sign for us. You could also say um, that a very poor Sporting Kansas City side has... has <laughs> you have to bring that up. Huh? A sporting yeah, I just thought I'd say it. A Sporting Kansas City side that you have to scroll a little <laughs> in the standings if you want to get down to them. We couldn't, we couldn't go any further without that mention. Right. No, of course not. Yeah. So, so we're discounting the four goals because that was against Sporting, right? So four with a 4.35 XG. Still that works. works yeah. Uh, what if... Next up, I had uh, Nico Ladero. So their number 10 designated player midfielder led the team in assists last year with 11 in 28 games. So he didn't, he didn't play every single game, still had 11. He led the team in key passes last year with 47. You can see how much of a, an impact in the playmaking in the midfield he is. Second this year in assists with three, tied for Jordan Morris with key passes lead with 12 on Seattle. And, and an interesting fact um, that, that I saw, some, some trends from some of the analytical sites, is that Nico Ladero's passing volume is down about 14% from his MLS career average, but his expected assist number is up about 11%. His shot creating actions from the run of play are up 26%, and his goal creating actions from run of play are up 33%. He's also averaging about the same number of tackles, but he's winning 29% more. And his interceptions are about the exact same as they have been. So this is a guy who, as he's getting older, as he's getting, uh, and, and he's, he has a changing position, a changing role in this organization, especially with Leo Chu mm -hmm. out there. He is, he's being much more efficient with all of his work. So, so all of those things together, the lower pass volume, the higher expected assists, the, the same number of tackles, but winning 29% more. He knows what he's doing out there. He knows this league and, and all of these stats tell me that he's just making the most and being the most efficient version of himself that he has been. And that's a dangerous thought from Nico. Ladera. Smarter, not harder. I, I thought he was taking a step back this year, but those stats are really helpful. He's just not looking, you know, as, as energetic, but he's not right. needing it. That's really cool. And that, and that's the thing, right? With uh, with Leo Chu out there, who is number 23, a midfielder, U22 initiative midfielder at that, he leads the team and the league in assists with five assists so far through uh, through six matches. And the fact that the fact that Leo Chu is able to pick up a lot of what Nico Ladero, you would think some of the things that uh, Ladero would be responsible for, that and knowing those stats we just said about Ladero, that's that's dangerous when he can be added to the mix um, in that capacity. So that that's why you're seeing some. I think the ability for Nico Ladero to accept and pivot into this more effective version of himself because Leo Chu's out there doing what he's doing. And then uh, 
one of the last couple guys I have is Raul Rui Diaz, who we touched on. They're number nine, playing the number nine position, designated player forward. He had a right hamstring injury at the beginning of the season, so he missed the first game. Uh, he played in the, the Club World Cup match, but I think it was an injury he picked up in that. So when he got home, he was found to have a strain. He's only started two games so far. He also had the international yeah, yeah. break. Uh, he he is he was their 2022 leading goal scorer with nine in only 18 games played and 14 started. So effective when he's on the field, just wasn't on the field very often. And then, um, like I noted and Santi said, uh, we, we predict that we're going to see him back the number nine this weekend, which would push Jordan Morris back to the wing. Yeah, and I just wanted to mention that I really like Joao Paulo, and um, he plays in the midfield. He's their number six, um, and he kind of quarterbacks yeah. for them in a lot of ways. He doesn't necessarily very pop much off so. the screen, but I kind of consider him, now that we've seen him a lot, I kind of consider him a Leuven light. You know, Leuven can play yeah. each of those positions a little better than him, I think, um, but he can also play the 10, and he's a little more prolific. But Joao Paulo is, like, really similar. I, I've always liked watching him. Yeah, and he's going to be that guy who clogs up the outside of our 18 yard uh -huh. box, I think. And he's going to he's going to prove difficult for a guy like Tomas Ostrak, assuming he starts to make some of those moves towards the middle that he's used to. He then. So Joao Paulo is going to be a guy to very much watch their number six. Yeah, he's definitely one of the key players there. Uh, he was out due to injury last year. And um, one thing I hear is that he's still not at 100 percent, but he has mm. started every game. Um, and yeah, I think that's going to be one of the key matchups. Uh, and I, it's interesting, Phil, you said that because I was thinking today, who, like, who can I compare it to? And the first thing that came to mind was Leuven. All right. So I'm, I'm not off base on that one necessarily. <laughs> Great minds. Um, do we want to, anything you want to say before we do our predictions, Matt? Yeah. So I put together some keys to the game. Uh, let's go over a few of those. Some of them we already touched, but I think these are going to be important as we kind of remember wrapping up all the things we've said and, and all the different player combinations. So Seattle's extremely good in their short passes. They, they run circles around other teams. They're great at beating a press because you work the ball around the field so well, and they have a very flowing attack pattern. That's a, that's a phrase I've seen used on websites like Sounders at Heart. It's a very flowing attack pattern. So you'll see it. it it's kind of uh, when, when we first learned about what cities system was going to be people hoped it i saw online people hoped it would be this type of offense where it's free-flowing quick passes it looks it's like arsenal loves to do this and mm -hmm. so I, I see what the sounders do and i like to watch it because i like to watch in the red but they're they're it's visually pleasing and and they work they work themselves around other teams uh, St. Louis has to win second chances and loose balls. Seattle, like I said, is second in headed duels and fifth in overall duels, and they lead the league in overall passes. So St. Louis has to make the most of mistakes that they can create. They cannot allow Seattle second chances. They cannot lose duels. They need to be, they need to be swarming and they need to be clinical in their ability to recover loose balls, not just finishing like we've talked about before. Uh, the counter-pressing is done very well by Seattle, leads to a lot of their chances. Um, Santiago mentioned that. St. Louis needs to make the most of those 50-50s with regularity and be smart with their push points. We touched earlier on that as a need, but those push points in, in choosing their moments is going to be very key. They can't swarm players all over the pitch because they're going to be vulnerable if and when Seattle is able to break that press. Our fullbacks, I think our fullbacks are going to be incredibly key to defending this high-octane attack. 
Jake Nerwinski in particular, because a lot of Seattle's work has been done on that left side. So I think Jake's Jake's got his hands full. He, we know he can. He's up to the task. Uh, but I think he's going to be very key to this match. Seattle's done work on this left with Morris, Leo Chu, Nico Ladero. That's how they put up four against SKC. They targeted Graham Zusi out there. Uh, in their attack, Seattle's going to usually move a fullback forward, kind of similar to what St. Louis does, but they will like to keep a three-man back line. That's an opportunity for St. Louis to break through that with numbers like they usually do. And the midfield is going to be a battle uh, between... Two technically talented ball handling teams. Seattle's very good at scooping up those chances. St. Louis needs to be very clinical in their possession of the ball and their first touches. So we saw against Minnesota, some of those chances, they kind of fell apart because we were a little tough with the ball. We didn't receive it well. We kind of battered it around instead of able to control it and able to drive the ball with that first touch. That's going to be key for St. Louis. And St. Louis needs to be crisp and clinical in their possession of the ball in the final third, especially. So whenever we get those chances, we just have to finish ultimately at the end of the yeah. game. Yeah. Make sure we don't get, you know, crowded and, and crowded out of the ball like Minnesota got us on. And that's that's gonna be something to watch for too. All that stuff's really good. Santiago, any thoughts before we do our predictions? Um, no, no, I don't have any final thoughts. So let's do the predictions. Let's do it. Why don't you go first? The, the one that is iffy is if Rasmussen will be available, but um, let's assume I'm going to assume he won't. So um, then Leuven, then um, Ostrak, and then at top, or depending on how you want to look at it, uh, Joachini and um, and Klaus. What do you think, Matt? You know, I, I like having I, I like that with uh, with that formation of those players. Um, Joachini dropping under Klaus for a more permanent look. I, I, I had the same formation. I think we'll roll out with a four, two, three, one. Um, I think I had the same back line. So Berkey, obviously, uh, Nerwinski, Parker, Hebert, Nelson on the back line. Um, I had Blome and Vasilev in the middle. I think that was the same as Santi. And then my three, uh, I actually had Stroud, Leuven, Ostrock. And then Klaus up top. So I have essentially mm-hmm. um, Blome subbing in for Joachini, which switches up the formation to yeah. a four-two-three-one. Yeah. And it's it's similar to what we rolled out in Portland. Portland was the game where we first saw Leuven as the actual number ten on the field, where Blome and Miguel uh, uh, it was either Blome or Vasilev with Miguel mm-hmm. Perez. I think it was uh, I think it was mm-hmm. Vasilev and that was Vasilev and Perez because that's when Blome uh, Vasilev broke his nose. I think. Oh yeah. Yeah, I do remember that. I don't mm-hmm. think I'll only differ from you in that I don't think Leuven will play the ten. I think it'll be Leuven and Blom in the holding midfield, and then mm-hmm. I think we'll just okay. run a four four two only because I don't think Alm will start even if he's healthy. I think he'll sub in, yeah. and so I do think it'll be basically this the same lineup as what we did against Minnesota, except I think Blom will come in for Vasilev. So four, two, three, one or four, four, two there. But um, yeah. I do think little change. I don't think it's going to stay that way the whole game. That's what I was saying. I was thinking that earlier and I told somebody on Twitter that it was in my mind, it's either Vasilev or Nico that drops down yeah. for Blom. And, it, but ultimately keep in mind that whoever drops down, they're going to sub in in the second half. We're going to see Vasilev. We're going to see Nico. They're going to be incredibly vital yeah. to this game. Because our attacking subs always Agreed. are. Yeah. And I'd, li- I'd like Vasilev to come in at the end in this one. It'd be cool to have us like turn up the attack a little bit at the end. So, 
he he got to show some ball handling skills against minnesota that was exciting to see where we knew the passing wasn't working so he took it upon himself to run the ball up the field quite a bit that was that was impressive they rate him for sure santiago did you have something to say there no, no, I was. Uh, oh, we're so going to do score predictions, right? Yeah, let's do the predictions and we got to get out of here. So uh, go ahead, Santiago, give your prediction. Okay, so quickly, I'm going to go 1-1, one, one, although Bradley Carnell said today that with the style of play this team has, uh, ties are usually rare, but uh, I'm going to go with 1-1. One, one. <laughs> Matt, what do you think? Um, I'm going to go 2-1. I'm still not. I'm still not ready to predict a loss for st louis regardless of <laughs> if it if it will happen or it did happen last week i'm still gonna go with hype train 2-1 st louis i'm gonna be the heel guys i think i think we lose this one i think it's gonna be 1-0 i think it'll be close but um wow. i'm really worried you guys Seattle's good you guys had a goal each by seattle so who's the goal scorer? by seattle good question Rui Diaz. i don't think Raul so. Rui Diaz. Yeah. i'm gonna say rosnack boom <laughs> Yeah, a little left bit. field or <laughs> right, right wing, depending on right. Yeah, what do you think, Matt? Uh, I think I think Jordan Morris will do it, uh, and I don't want him to, but I think he'll do it and keep building that narrative that he's he's going on this year. And I think the goal score for St. Louis will be Edward. I keep picking him, and I don't know if it's going to come off of a set piece. I do like the way our set pieces have looked. We've had some real good opportunities on our set pieces lately from both Leuven and Vasilev. I really think Indy's time is coming. He's going to get a goal one of these days, and it's going to happen soon, but I'm just gut feeling going with Leuven. Yeah, I'd like to see a free kick goal. I'd like to see that, so that'd be cool from Leuven. Well, maybe both. I pick I pick two goals, so I'm going to go there both. You go. Yeah, Leuven, I like Leuven and Vasilev. I like that. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. This is Flyover Footy. We're a St. Louis podcast that we podcast about soccer, clearly here. Um, But we are also broadcasting on the big 550 KTRS. Again, thank you for joining us. We'll be talking to you guys next week. Bye-bye. You know what? I mean, we edit, so I should just like stop it. And you're right. I apologize. I'll do that in the future. He's, he's not like, he's not like Bill O'Reilly here for the podcast. Where it's like, eh, we'll do it live. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be hilarious? Especially Santiago was like the mean one on the podcast <laughs> behind the scenes. He was screaming at us. People have people have no idea what Santiago right, really like right. in real life. Clearly so the nicest one. <laughs> I'm going to pull up Twitter. We got a million questions. Um, oh, wow. Want to make sure we um, get those in. Yeah. Welcome back. It's the wind down with fly over footy. The beers have been poured. There's a rain delay in Richmond on Thursday night. Is it rain delay? Thunder delay? Oh, yeah. It's, pour- okay. it's pouring there. Um, and we're going to talk more about everything. I think we're going to start maybe getting some talk about uh, the penalties and mm-hmm. the non-calls versus the calls would be a fun conversation to have some open cup discussion mls season passed so far oh i didn't see that coming there's there's disputing uh dueling rumors about the how how satisfied apple is oh that yeah okay yeah i did see that coming actually sitting versus standing that's a good one to talk about on the wind down but let's lead up let's let's start with since i, I mentioned the the rain delay in the open cup game 
Um, Joseph Iliff has a great question. So we're playing Union Omaha in the U.S. Open Cup. Any advantage to having Bobby Murphy, the City 2 head coach, having been an assistant for Union Omaha? And Owen O'Malley went to college at Creighton University in Omaha. That's interesting. And then we have like multiple goalkeepers that have played for Omaha, right? I was going to say we have a goalkeeper with experience. Santi, you were talking about that. Yeah. Um, Christian Olivares played for um, Union Omaha last Did year. Did McGrain come from Omaha too? My McGrain is actually in Omaha now. Oh, he that's He came from a um, ah, team in California. Um, so so they, they cancel each other out, <laughs> those goalkeepers, I guess. right? I guess. But yeah, he is with... Uh, Union Omaha right now. So that'll be a homecoming do, for him. I do think in a sense that uh, Bobby Murphy will have yeah. provide advantage. And I, you know, if uh, <laughs> there's, there's a scene in Ted Lasso this week that it reminds me of. So I won't say spoilers, but think about this when you're watching that. Um, I do think that whether it's tactics, whether it's experience with players, tendencies, Bobby Murphy was their assistant for two right. years and he won, he won a, cup or whatever they have in league one the the title and that kind of experience that kind of knowledge of a system immediately is going to give some kind of an advantage i don't know the extent i'm sure it's it's one of those any given saturday or tuesday type situations but but i would be surprised if there aren't scenarios in the game that we're able to game plan for better because we have bobby murphy yeah he's going to provide a lot of insight he knows the players he even if they now have a different system, he knows the players and he, he knows a little bit about how they play and different how they handle different situations. So uh, that would be a great insight to have. Omaha is their giant. We're not going to get too in-depth today because I think we're going to talk a lot about it in, when the game comes up. But um, we would be doing ourselves a massive disservice to go deep into the Open Cup conversation without I Stu. Completely. Yeah, completely yeah. But uh, they are giant killers, and they play like Minnesota United historically. Um, so you know they're they're a good match for us if if they, they step it up on on given. They on beat a, Minnesota United last year in the Open oh, Cup. Oh wow! There's the Giant Slayer, <laughs> and I imagine we'll we'll play some not typical starters. So that'll be fun to see and, and how they do against that team. Mm-hmm. And that match will be, we'll find out on Friday. So we're recording this on Thursday. We'll find out April 7th. So by the time you're listening to this, you might know uh, the exact date and time, but it should be April 25th or 26th at home. At, Park. at home. And we'll talk to Stu about that, that home game. All right, let's get into yeah. Joe flies X wings questions. Um, in fact, it plays right into our notes. Look at this. Any word on Josh Yarrow's status? I was bummed when he wasn't on the team sheet last Saturday, but was more concerned when he wasn't on the City 2 team sheet either. That's a really good point, Joe. What do you guys think? So I had a similar conversation about John Bell on Twitter with a guy, and, and it was with a guy who went to college with him or to the same college, so there's like a kinship there. And the the overarching thing that I have for Yarrow and Bell is it's a numbers game. And it's a it's a system. It's a side effect of our system because we have you have five subs, which is a lot now. But at the same time, we have historically through six games been using those heavily in our mm-hmm. offense. We'll sub out a fullback here and there. We'll but but it's always focused mostly on refreshing the legs of our attack. And so when you're needing to sub out those players so much, I mentioned it in the press conference today that Jake Nerwinski and Johnny Nelson are leading our team in outfielders for minutes mm. played. 
Kyle Hebert's played every single minute that he's been eligible for. Tim Parker only missed a game for a groin injury. These are not like we're subbing them out for tactical advantage. If a defensive player is in the game, odds are they're going to stay in the game. So then it becomes who's at the top of the depth chart. And it's pretty clear that it's Tim Parker and Kyle Hebert. And that doesn't even take into consideration Joachim Nilsson right. is, gonna, is around the corner of the summer. So you look at who's who's behind them, and it's pretty clear it's Lucas Bartlett. It, it's not it's not that they aren't able to be subbed in or they are missing from the lineup because their their talent isn't there. It's a numbers game. Look at look at who our bench was in this last game. You had you had Pedro, Adeneron, Miguel Perez, Akil Watts, Blom, Jensen, Jackson, and Bartlett. Bartlett is the only true center back that was on our bench. So you're only having mm. one in general. All these things play together. My question was, why aren't we seeing Yarrow or Bell with City 2? Yeah. And my my answer as I'm, I'm talking to myself about this is it is a competing priorities issue there where you have Michael Wenzel on City 2. He was your captain. Can't sit right. him, right? He's hmm. he's your captain. So then you have Josh Mayer. Josh Mayer, see, through two games, has started. He's an academy product. He's come up. He's experienced. It clearly seems like they're going with him. He has a red card, so it's likely we could see Yarrow or Bell in tomorrow's match on Friday. That That's an opportunity. But it's just these competing things where you have a, a surplus of players that you don't sub for City, and then you have a competing priorities thing with City. Yeah, and, and Coach Murphy alluded today that they may have a because I asked him about Jose Mayer having that red card and what the options were. And um, he mentioned Fritz Palmer, but he also alluded that maybe they would have a center back from the first team coming. So now the question is is it going to be Jose Yarrow or is it going to be John Bell? And I joked in our group chat that then we're going to have to have the conversation of what does it mean? Because that doesn't mean necessarily that whoever Murphy picks is higher in the depth chart. It could mean they're lower and they want to get minutes for City 2 and the other person is being saved for City. It could yeah. mean a lot of different things. And, and Fritz, Fritz Vollmer is the interesting one to yeah. me because he could easily slide in there. But Vollmer played a, I want to say, left back yeah. position uh, for city two last yeah. week. So he's in, he's been in the lineup as a fullback. He's, he's going to be That's out. Kind of what I was, you know, kind of getting at is like, what are their intentions with city two? Is it, is the main thing to get those Academy kids, the highest Academy kids, the most, you know, challenging experience they can get. It seems like it in that game. And that's what I was going to say, seeing those two Volmar and, and uh mayor in there that I thought that was interesting when there were lots of options in, in different regards, like you guys have, as have already said. Yeah. Thought I'd cut you off there, Santi. I, the last thing I want to say about uh, Yarrow is like, I often wonder if we'd ever send a player on loan to USL Championship. Mm-hmm. And Yarrow seems like the best one, the best candidate for that, where if we are not able to give him minutes for half a season, Nilsson's back and we got four other center backs ready to go. Mm-hmm. Other than him, you know, do we send Yarrow, who has extensive championship experience? All those championship sides would be drooling to get him i'm sure if there were injuries or something if we do i think it's going to be when we have a 100 healthy joachim nilsson return yeah. because Agreed. up until then you're still running a risk of injuries or or any other i don't think we have any other international breaks coming during mls play well we do actually i take that back our rescheduled la galaxy game later this uh, year is during an international uh, yeah. break 
Uh, but other than that, I think we'll ride out who we have. They're going to stay and provide depth and be there. But then when the summer comes around, we add Nilsson, then we could be looking at, okay, does another team come calling and we suddenly have Yara or Bell or both mm-hmm. available? Yeah. And just thinking about the summer window, if the team is going to make any moves, um, sending somebody on loan mm-hmm. will open up a, a roster slot. So that's another, yep. another thing to keep an eye on. Yeah. And no salary relief on that, but it does free up a roster slot. And like uh, Max Schneider has proved, if it if that is a player who goes on loan who covers an international slot, that's Ooh. freed up as well. Mm-hmm. That's true. Doesn't apply to Yarrow or Bell, but you know, just a fun nugget. Um, a little off topic here, but um, they're both related to each other. Two more questions from Joe. Uh, Bayern Munich entered into a player development partnership with LAFC earlier this year. What are your thoughts on City oh, yeah. signing a similar agreement with an established European club? We've talked about this a little bit, but and and yeah. actually, let's tie well, first it in of all, any rumblings around the club uh, for a late summer exhibition match with a European club. We can put these two together, right? I mean, no rumblings that I've heard of, but I think our last uh, exhibition is the answer to mm-hmm. the first question. And we've talked on this show about the Bayer Leverkusen relationship that isn't an official relationship. There have been trips back and forth by both coaching staffs, knowledge sharing. Uh, the Bayer Leverkusen staff came out to a City 2 match at least once last year. And the biggest news story from last year is that Aaron Hurd was rumored to be in line for a move to Leverkusen when he turned 18. That was, that was a year, year plus ago, maybe. And since then, obviously we haven't seen much of Aaron Hurd on the field. So we don't know where that is. We, and nothing official has been announced with Leverkusen, but that seems to be the club that a relationship exists, whether it's unofficial or not. Yeah, that was I think that would be the club that if we are going to sign one, um, that's the closest. Um, but yeah, um, it, I think it would be great to have here if it is Leverkusen or another club. I think having that knowledge sharing and maybe having players uh, go back and forth, um, I think that will help the, the club with player development. And um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Aaron heard so many rumors, but as Matt was saying, like we haven't seen much of him. Even with City Two uh, this year, um, I was expecting to see him on the starting lineup, but uh, we have yet to see that. I, you know, I don't want to pivot too much towards Aaron Heard, but I, I can't help but just feel bad for him whenever we see uh, he gets opportunities and certain things just aren't as flashy as he has expectations for, and that's not of his own doing. That. You, it's a kid who has these lofty expectations one way or another based on these typical soccer expectations you have for young, outstanding talent at that level. And he's played above his weight class, above his age class. He came in for City 2 the other day against Tacoma in that first match, and he was the only player to miss a PK. Yeah. I mean, like, you can't help but feel bad for the kid and just want to root for him for all that. Like, if that's not the St. Louis type of a guy and, and spirit that you want to root for where, you know, the talents there and he's going through rough patches here and there. And I, I don't know anything more than surface level stuff that I see on the field or that I hear about in, in rumors like that, but you can't help, but just want the best for him 
whether it's in that Leverkusen relationship or not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, we've said it a million times. We've thought that he would get more opportunity than he's gotten based on that rumor. And so yeah. hopefully that's not just like hanging over his head and, and doing having negative effects. Um, it's fine if the guy just barely gets in when he's 18 to Bayer Leverkusen. Um, and But we still raise him up and he ends up good. You know, I, I still think all of that is quite possible, if not likely. Um Oh yeah. Joe adds at the end of his question, I'd imagine our facilities would be enticing for teams getting in preseason work. I completely agree. I mean, first class facilities here, uh, world class facilities and um, you know, a couple teams I'd love to see. I'm a massive Bundesliga fan, so I'm a little bit uh, biased here, but it'd be really cool to have like Hoffenheim or Wolfsburg um mm-hmm come over you know there's americans on all those teams you know seeing john brooks and justin jay with hoffenheim coming to the yeah. united states and see him in st louis i'd really love that so you know the interesting thing to me on these is going to be leagues cup because with that tournament starting mm. in the middle of july that's kind of coinciding yeah. with the time that these teams would be coming over so i'm wondering how they how mls teams are going to handle the ability to schedule some of these when they have potential leagues cup matches that they don't know when they're going to be, Mm. or if they're out of a tournament, can they, can they schedule things on a whim? We know that the big clubs like Arsenal, Manchester United, they have these tours. And so these tours are announced well in advance. Like the famous one that's happening this summer is Manchester United playing Wrexham. So these are scheduled way in advance. And with the MLS schedule being in flux in the summertime, that just, adds kind of a air of unknown to what is possible for some of these teams. It is. Um, we were talking about Josh Yarrow and John Bell's uh, place in the team and a name that comes up from time to time that I'm starting to have as I am uh, faultily wanting to do uh, these Conspiracy theories, you know, mm. and, and the one that's been getting me lately, I've been pushing it back, pushing it back. And I feel like we're finally there. I'm ready to talk about Selmir oh. Pedro. Why has Pedro not mm. played any minutes? And I was waiting for a loss. I was waiting to be behind at the end of a game and getting a little bit desperate because he is such a game changer in my with City 2. He was such a game changer going forward that I thought him coming in as a left back just as a change of pace. Like even if Nelson is your dead on starter, he's been really good in the attack and the defense, like no qualms there. Doesn't matter. He's played a lot of minutes. He might be tired at the end of the game. Everyone else is tired too. bringing on Pedro, a really awesome attacker at the left back position at the end of a game makes a lot of sense. And it would have made sense in my opinion against Minnesota United. And I'm just still shocked that our first player signing for the senior team, a Bosnian has gotten zero minutes this year. And it's just, I'm starting to just wonder if something's going on. And so I wanted to voice that in the end of this podcast (laughs) when hardly anyone's listening, because that's where you should put a conspiracy theory. I I don't think there is anything going on. It's just, uh, and Carnell has talked about this, like, when you're winning so much, you're not going to tell one of the guys in the back lane, hey, I need to uh, give some minutes to uh, Pedro. And he has also uh, spoke highly about Pedro. And he basically put himself as an example. He said, when, when I was in Germany, I was in a team that uh, got second place in Bundesliga, made it to the Champions League. 
I wasn't playing, but mm. I made sure that the guy that was the starter knew I was there and uh, he had to perform yep. because I, I was working hard. And so guys like Pedro, he that's the case. He sees like they work on their, their tails off, but it's just that uh, there is so much competition and the team is doing well. So there is no need to uh, make those changes at the moment. And they've been asked, the press yeah. is doing their job. It's not like we haven't heard people yeah. ask what's up with Pedro. The answer is always, he's there, he's going to get in. You know, mm-hmm. We're a little surprised too, but nothing weird's going on. It was just it was just last week that it was asked, it was right? Recent, in, uh, yeah. I think it was the pregame to Minnesota that it was Either asked. last week or the week before, but yeah, it was, it was recent. Yeah. Yeah, th- those things are, uh, credit to, uh, this is a self-serving comment, but it's credit to the folks in the media room who asked those kinds yeah. of questions Agreed. because guys like guys like Rasmus Alm, Jabulu Blome, Selmer Pedro, John Bell, Josh Yarrow, all of these, Nilsson and how he's recovering, these questions are getting asked. And so we get, we get whatever answers we get. And with Pedro, there was nothing mm-hmm. but positivity. You're right, Santi. And it... It goes back to Nelson and Nerwinski and those fullback roles are kind of the linchpin of a lot of what works for us. And when you're winning and even when you're playing somewhat of a successful game and keeping it close, not somewhat, but a successful game and keeping it close against Minnesota, you're going to ride those players and they're playing well. Nelson has Nelson should have about twice as many assists as he does have. He's been finding connection up front. He's been successful with the ball. The the way that he's playing is facilitating a whole lot that goes on. Him and Nerwinski, I think, can't get enough credit for being successful in this offense. And so when you're that successful and when you're gelling with the players around you and you're winning or losing by the slimmest of margins, then now is not the time to make that change. It's a long season. Right, we're only six games in. We just finished the first block, as Carnell and Lutz like to mm-hmm. say, the first block of six games. That because they track these games in blocks of six. Right. You never know if the plan for Pedro is going to involve getting him in in this next block of six somehow. And we just talked and alluded to the U.S. Open Cup. It is two weeks away, three, two or three, three weeks away. If three weeks away, and if Pedro doesn't feature in. The game before the Open Cup game or the MLS game mm. after. Good call. I'll have a. I'll. I'll be much more inclined to have a serious conversation about what might be wrong with. Pete. And who am I to question a former fullback on how he handles the minutes given to his fullback? <laughs> right. You know what I mean. Right. <laughs> um, we only. We don't have time to fit in all of these. I'm, I. I think we should. I think people want to talk about the non-call on Klaus versus the call on Hebert. I think we should talk about that. Or is that overdone? Is that? I don't think it's overdone. Now, the interesting thing to me is it was essentially ignored by Extra Time Radio. Uh. For, and, and not that I'm mad or anything, but the, they actually, Andrew Weeby provided a reason oh. on why they ignored on for instant replay. Because they MLS season pass airs that instant replay show, which looks at, I think, the top five or six or so controversial calls. Then they do replays. They break it down. They see, and we didn't make Mm. the cut, even though if you look on social media, because St. Louis has an amazing social media presence, the fans do, we were clamoring for it. There was all kinds of requests to Weeby, to MLS season pass for the Klaus no call to be reviewed and looked at. And Weeby Weeby had a reply that I don't have it in front of me, but it basically said, 
I don't think many people outside of St. Louis think it was as big of a deal as you all do. Yeah. Ooh, that's interesting. I will say, here's my comment on it, because I haven't said anything about it, is that uh, anytime I see one player's head go down in a crazy... Oh, actually, let's read it. Let's read the Mark Gardner comment, because I thought he said it perfectly. And I'm glad... Um, He's Mark Gardner is a referee as well. Yeah, that's why I asked him. Yeah. So he's a referee, yep. and I always ask him. I asked him as the game was playing. He was like, don't talk to me right now. He, he knew he was too biased to say anything. <laughs> but his comments after were like, perfect. He said, uh, sh- referees showed restraint and were spot on in the big calls. Hebert went down on a completely unnecessarily ch- necessary challenge where he couldn't even get the ball. It was another teammate that cleared the ball away almost at the same time as the tackle. Hebert needed to be smarter. Uh, so that's the previous call um, that was the PK. Now, the Klaus situation. Let's say both players have a right to the ball, but Klaus brought his head down to a position where it was dangerous to himself. The defender made a natural soccer play on the ball. Klaus did not. No clear and obvious for uh, VAR to have the ref take a second look. Not a clear is what he was saying there. Um, that said, if it was called as a penalty, on the other hand, if it was called on the field as a penalty, he'd say the same thing, that it shouldn't be looked at on VAR. Very interesting. No clear and obvious for VAR to intervene either way. Mm. I also like to think of it this way. If there was uh, that was Parker clearing the ball and a loon was in the box putting his head down toward Parker's clearance and the ref called a penalty, we'd all be livid. And that's my oh, exact yeah. feeling is yeah. anytime I see... Yeah. Because I feel like it happens to Americans a lot on national team. Is yeah. They'll put their head down um, or the other person will to a weird spot. And it's like, this guy was clearly going to use his foot and you're going to call a high kick on him. You know, it's, it bothers me. So I actually was okay with a no call after I watched it. Not that I didn't boo the hell out of him during the game, but um, you know, that I thought I liked his comments there. Thanks, Mark. I asked his permission to read that. So that was okay. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It was in the moment and in screen caps after you can clearly see contact made. You could see Klaus's head. You can make an argument rather that Klaus's head was at or above the waist. But given the flow, Klaus going down, knee going up to make contact with the ball, and in real time, especially, yeah. it's it's tough to yeah, do. Yeah, it that. was clear. It's tough to make. It was clear. Um, the question I wanted to ask earlier was would you guys think about what we looked like after the subs were put on you we were clearly clearly pushing for um yeah. a win um at the end and then the goal came and then we put in some more subs you know i think a dinner on was one of the focuses i think of, of the end of the game yeah yeah so that's the that thought right there he had a couple he had two headers that he put toward goal that weren't on goal um i think one of those would have been nice to get it on goal but then there's the one where he did an amazing job. Klaus worked his butt off to send the ball to the middle um, from the from the right wing, and Adenaron did a great job coll- you know, holding off the defender, bodied him off really well, stopped the ball, got a clear shot at goal. He sent it to the right side, but it was it was off. It wasn't on goal. This was that was this was at ninety plus five yeah. too. Ninety five. Yeah. Ninety five. Ninety five. This was the dying minutes of the game where where this was one of this was the second to last attempt. Klaus had one final attempt after this uh, on an Azil Jackson cross. 
but this was this was the chance. And this is where when we were talking XG earlier in those mm. two spikes by Minnesota in the 57th minute uh, post hit and at the PK, this was our spike. Adeneron had a near 0.4 XG on that oh, one shot alone. This was wow. this was his to make. And this is where I saw some comments after uh, that started to question him. And I thought it was a little too harsh to question him from that because he hasn't gotten a whole lot run of play yet. He hasn't seen too many minutes. He hasn't had too many opportunities like this. He's, his goal-scoring prowess is unquestioned in USL Championship. Yeah. We're waiting for him to make that next leap up to MLS. This was this could have been such a fun way to have him be introduced to the MLS mm-hmm. scoring books and it for, for City. And Klaus, gosh, credit to him for <laughs> facilitating what that. What a play. For getting the ball getting the ball into position and crossing it over to the perfect spot for Sam to actually be able to make a play. That and, and it speaks to Klaus just in the 90 plus five minutes, 95th minute able to still make that kind of play and move from everything that he's done so far him more than anybody. I think at the end, cause you had, you had multiple opportunities from him in and around the box. That one included at the end of the game, he looked so yeah. devastated at the end of the game. Like he had literally given it his all and, and done everything he could to try and facilitate or score a goal, including that, that a dinner on cross. So all the credit in the world to Klaus on how that game was finished I really was bummed to not have that one goal by Adeneron. Yeah, it was disappointing to see that he couldn't finish that one. Uh, but at some point, he it's, it's what, Matt, what Matt was saying. He hasn't played a lot. Uh, I think it's a confidence thing. And I have seen him, uh, even in training, I have seen him make some, but also miss some that he should make. I, I think it's just confidence. Once he scores that first goal, he's going to unlock all his potential one thing i wanted to comment about that play obviously klaus did a great job protecting the ball and creating that opportunity but i really loved how that play was built mm-hmm. like st louis recovered the ball um on yeah. its own uh, half of the field and then uh quick transitions uh parker to leuven and then leuven with the long ball to klaus uh so i really liked how that played uh develop uh like 95th minute and everybody still pressing and recovering and doing those quick transitions so uh, that tells a lot about this team yeah and, and we've seen what they've seen in a gen in a dinner on like why they signed him you know he's really quality in a lot of ways um he's playing his, his position perfectly they're using him perfectly perfectly both of those things yeah um, but you know, that finishing is a thing it's been regular that the finishing hasn't been prolific for sure. And it's like, you definitely get that feeling of like the St. Louis FC, the pain of not being able to finish something <laughs> off. It very much felt like that. Um, uh, because until we got Kyle Gregg, it was, it was a little rough all around with St. Louis FC. Um, so, you know, it, I do, I hope he gets that goal and I hope, um, he turns a corner in that way. Um, but it has been a little bit rough from him just in the finishing. Cause I think he's done a really good job on, on everything else. Um, so yeah, where do you guys want to go left? I think next, I think we got like time for one more topic if you guys want. All right, shoot. How about MLS season pass? This is the funniest one because yeah. just, I love the way you phrased it in the notes because just reading this sentence should tell us how this was going to end. Rumors from, quote, 
MLS gone wild <laughs> <laughs> about Apple TV not uh, being happy with uh, the amount of season pass signings, uh, signups <laughs> that they've gotten this season. So this is a rumor from, uh, I'll say it one more time, MLS gone wild gave us this rumor. So Matt, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, in the... The rumor was uh, just a tweet, no article, no overt source of any kind. And it was just that sources are telling me that MLS is not happy with the number of subscribers to no, Apple's no. not happy with the number of subscribers. To the MLS sees a pass. Apple is not happy. And that kind of set off a firestorm because, yeah, here's the tweet. Sources, Apple TV are very worried, quote, about the amount of MLS season pass subscriptions sold to start the season. According to my source, they have met just 40% of their initial projection. That kind of went off the rails with about 1.5 million views and bunches wow. of interactions yeah. back and forth from, from, from fans of MLS, from non-fans of MLS who are using it as just one of their uh, shark smelling blood in the water moments. <laughs> and then you've got other people kind of saying sources like it, what, what were their projections in the, in the beginning? What are their actual numbers? Right. Like what is, what does this mean? We know how many subscriptions have been given away to season ticket holders. We know they have a deal with T-Mobile to provide MLS season pass. So what are they actually wanting to? And the fact that we're six games in, to the deal the, the app mls season pass went live on february 1st we're not even three months into this and we're starting these kinds of rumors that seems a little jumping the gun at the very least and then i saw that earlier today there was there was a, a quote from uh somebody on wall street it was it was a Wall Street one of the business guys. And he's saying it, at the MLS Board of Governors meeting that was recently held at Apple headquarters, the and he's actually named a name, uh, Vice President of Apple Services Eddie Q told club owners that the company is quote very happy with the progress of the streaming partnership to date. Perfect timing. One of those sounds a little more reliable so, than the other. <laughs> MLS gone wild. <laughs> Double. <laughs> Phil really likes that one. <laughs> I, I just like to say it. it he, they doubled down. I don't know. I don't know who it is in real life, but they doubled down today, saying that they they have spoken to a vice president uh, at, at at Apple, mm -hmm. and they reached out to them. It wasn't MLS Gone Wild reaching mm -hmm. out to somebody. Somebody reached out to the Twitter account called MLS mm -hmm. Gone Wild. All right, mm. Gone Wild indeed. I don't know. It, it's we're we're not even three months into this thing. We're barely two months into it, and we're already it's it's one of those knee jerk MLS fan or an MLS non fan reactions to things. It's a brand new. It's a ten year deal. Mm. It's brand new, and we have so little data to go off of on the content of the platform, and obviously con subscriptions are continuing to be sold throughout the year. It's it, people have monthly, people have yearly. But the fact that we're already trying to do this, and and this is on the heels of a rumored opt-out clause right. that Apple supposedly mm -hmm. has, which has no confirmation, has no source, is just I've heard is is what the verbiage has been used. Even even the guys at the Athletic will not even say sources hmm. are saying or condition of anonymity. It's no. I've heard, and so you're you're seeing these stories kind of build, which. All it does to me is it's the usual 
story that we've heard about MLS from naysayers in the past of this league, all their problems that they have, they can't compete with the global market. They're a a fifth rate global league and they're, they're killing soccer in America because of their single entity. All of these things coupled (laughs) together are just reasons why people are grasping it, whatever straw they need to, to make themselves feel like their viewpoint is accurate. So if I, if you're looking at those, Pro Rel for USA accounts, they are one of the ones that smelled blood in the water on this MLS Gone Wild tweet because they're citing back, oh, well, Apple has an opt-out clause. Oh, well, they're not meeting the 40%. This deal is going to get cut by the All-Star game. <laughs> it's abs- it's, it's too early. Yeah, that's MLS Twitter for you in a nutshell. So, And I'm <laughs> not really saying is. it's not true. I re- truly am not. I, I made it sound like it, so I, I do want to come on, go on the record and be like, listen, it could end up being true, but you know, there's a lot of other stuff out no, there and- that makes it seem like it's not. And and the other side of the coin is I've had conversations with the person behind mm-hmm. MLS Gone Wild. They're a cool person. Nice. Like it, they they know their stuff. They follow the league. They're also referred to as one of the pro MLS Twitter accounts out there that like to hype up and, and publicize and talk good about the league. So this is if this is a bogus rumor, it's very out of character mm-hmm. for this account mm-hmm. to to target. It's not like you're having one of those pro rel for USA accounts. Yeah come after MLS. This is this is very out of character for it to be a derogatory type attack. That's why it seems so bizarre assuming and and because we don't have we don't know sources or data right. or numbers. So it it's just a lot of vague information from a very unlikely source to yep. provide it. Yeah, I mean we don't have to tell you about what's going on with Bally and the entire sports media industry, you know, and there's rumors yeah. about um the Premier League, perhaps given their rights to Apple TV. So, like, that'd be cool. It's, but it's all rumor. Who knows what's going on? So, we'll just have to stick around all these 10 years of the deal and, and see what happens. Unless it gets canceled before the All Star game, <laughs> <laughs> which is a joke. That's not going to happen. We're going to be able to watch City That's all right. year long. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. That's our show for today. Next week, um, we are going to, you're going to do, we- yeah, go ahead, Matt. Let's tease it. Let's tease it. Let's not You'll do say a better fully job. what it is. Yeah. But ne- next week, we're looking to change things up a little bit. So Phil mentioned at the very beginning of the KTRS segment that the preview or the recap, rather, may look a little different on next week's episode. Um, there also may be reason for you to tune into the flyover feed a little earlier in the week, but we should have some exciting things to bring you next week. I'm excited about it. I was I wasn't sure if it was uh, what we should do, and I like the more I think about it, the more I think it's the right choice, and I'm excited for it. And we can all thank Matt for taking the reins on that one. So I don't know. I meant that in a good way. I'm not trying to sell you down the river. <laughs> well, now you know who to yeah. blame. Oh, yeah, hey. <laughs> we know who to blame. Let's go. No, no, no. Thank you, Matt, so much for everything you do. Um, and same to you, Santiago. I'm honored to have you guys um, and be able to talk to you guys every week. And thanks all uh, who are listening right now. We'll be talking to you next week. Like I said earlier, bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks, bye.